welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Beyond the Official Narrative on Republic Broadcasting Network at republicbroadcasting.org. This is hour two of Beyond the Official Narrative for March, uh, Friday, March the 1st, 2024. Well, time sure flies, and I'm not Richard Carey, the normal host. I'm Stephen Douglas White, the resident thought criminal here at RBN, and I'm joined by two fellow RBN hosts, uh, the rebel madman, Mr. Mike Gaddy, and uh, Blackbird Nine of, uh, with Black, his Saturday Night Snack Shack, and we're prone to appear other places to commit thought crimes together, and I appreciate Y'all joining me, I want to remind you before I go back to the guests that RBN is listener-supported, so you guys uh, make sure free speech like this continues. The free speech that, uh, ironically, is not really guaranteed by our Constitution, is it, Mike? With that, I'll let it toss back to you to where you were going through this this whole process before we got cut off. Okay, buddy. Well, you know, just the thing that the – Federalists knew because they voted down a Bill of Rights at the Constitutional Convention unanimously by state. Now, there were some that voted for it, naturally, George Mason, Elbridge Gary, others voted for it, but it was each state had one vote at the convention. So it was voted down. Bill of Rights. They did not want a Bill of Rights in there. Madison explained pretty well why they didn't want a Bill of Rights in there because they didn't want the people to have any input from from their levels but then they realized very quickly that when the ratification conventions began they realized that if they didn't promise a bill of rights they were not going to get ratification of their document so then they went to a an alternative plan okay we'll put in a bill of rights but then we will go through those rights this is the first congress which was overwhelmingly federalist Many of the people who had written the Constitution were in the first Congress. So they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw out any proposal for a Bill of Rights that would hamper this government. And so the one proposed Bill of Rights that came from all 13 states was no direct taxation will ever be levied on the individuals in this country. Will you ever wonder why that wasn't sent to the states as part of the ratification? It was rejected by James Madison and his crew of Federalist lawyers in the first House of Representatives. They went through over, there were over 200 suggestions for a Bill of Rights. They went through it, took out all of the duplicates, which is proper to do, And so they still had over 100 proposed Bill of Rights. So what you have to remember is they sent 14 of those to the states. So that means over 86 proposals for a Bill of Rights was rejected by the first Congress instead of sending it to the states for their approval. And they knew they couldn't send it to the states. So then they came up with the Judicial Act of 1789 which gave more power to the Supreme Court, gave more power to individual courts in each state. And as soon as the Judicial Act was signed by Washington against the wishes of Jefferson, even against the wishes of his own uh, Attorney General, Edmund Randolph, they both told him it was unconstitutional. He signed it anyway. And why did he sign it? Because Hamilton wanted it. And Hamilton got it. And then you had the invasion for the whiskey tax, which was totally 
unconstitutional. But that was, again, was Washington made Alexander Hamilton, who was Secretary of Treasury, a lieutenant general in the Army, to lead the invasion. Of course, he went along. But that was totally unconstitutional. And then, you know, the third thing was the U.S. Bank. And that just really did it for Jefferson. Jefferson resigned and left after that U.S. Bank thing because he asked so many questions about it. And that is when Alexander Hamilton sent a notice to Washington and he said, look, this is when we first heard it. The necessary and proper clause gives us the right to have this bank if we deem it necessary and proper. So they were using a phrase which was added to the Constitution by Gouverneur Morris in the Committee of Style and Arrangement. So they put that in there in intentionally to make sure that they could battle a Bill of Rights. And then with uh, as soon as the Judicial Act of 1789 was passed, Washington appointed a federal judge for every state that was in the Union. The reason those federal judges were put there is to overrule anything that the states might come up with that could actually put a clamp or put any restrictions on the federal government. So it, it, it's, it's quite a scheme once you, once you really get into it. So back to you guys. It makes those guys in the black robes like the little dictators. I mean, it, uh, some I forgot who said it that said that there would be no appeal this side of heaven to that Supreme Court, too. And Robert Yates. just yes. And now look at the judiciary is run amok. What they're doing, they're starting to they're starting another quote unquote civil war with this stuff in New York and coming. I hate to mention the guy's name, but you know that all those federal judges coming after it's just it's ridiculous and it all goes back this far it was set up this far in the past and they changed did they not change the wording of a lot of those quote-unquote bills of rights to make them more pliable uh that they could exploit them and, and control the people even more these people that it was diabolical what happened this and it's put up as some kind of state religion and how it's such a great thing for us and it just it, it it's very hard to, to swallow these things but it's freeing too i have to say uh, let me let you continue sir because this is a sham this thing we're living under people still want to learn more about how we can get back to this constitution and they keep voting more voting for these people we are never going to vote get to vote for the puppet masters like you said you you can vote for the puppet. And has there ever been a president that was more than in name only? Maybe Andy Jackson. I mean, it seems like they all have a handler. That it all so much of history boils down to just what you said. This bank was vital. We had to start this bank. That's what it all boils down to. All these other things are just, you know, uh, arranging the deck chairs or something because that's the power, and they rule over us. These masters of war use that, and it's usually about who owns the bank and runs the money. It all boils down to that. It, it, it just it, – it's infuriating once you realize it. Well, one of the great lines, guys, about the bank came from Hamilton uh, – when Jefferson said, look, there is no provision whatsoever in this Constitution for a national bank. And so Hamilton writes back to Washington and says, look, you got to tell Mr. Jefferson he has to be able to read between the lines 
And so Jefferson responds back. This is a wonderful exchange, folks. I tell you what, this is better than TV. Jefferson replies back. He says, well, uh, uh, President uh, Washington, would you please tell uh, Secretary Hamilton that I have uh, looked between the lines and it's all blank? There ain't nothing there. So, (laughs) I mean, these exchanges, folks, the thing we have to understand is these founders were human. And no different from what we have today. And and when we look at it and we realize, you know, a uh, people tell you, oh, this uh, Constitution was inspired by God. Well, you know, they didn't want to pray. Do you think God would have inspired a Constitution where the people voted not to have prayer? Do you really think that was in there? I mean, this this thing has been so interwoven into the mind. I mean, all of us were programmed. We have to admit that. We were told this stuff. I was told how wonderful the Constitution was in school. I was told how wonderful the Constitution was on the news media. I was told how wonderful the Constitution was at church. So we've all been given this same thing. But one of the things I think we have to be careful for here, Whitey, is we are shutting out the black guy. Blackbird. Frederick. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Please, Frederick. That's just Jump racist. In, sir. That's what that is. That's just racist right there. <laughs> I but love it. Yeah. Yes. I've got so many notes here. You're just hitting so many great points. And I guess I go back to Genesis. Start with Genesis 9.20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. And ever since then, the chicken swingers think that they have a God-given monopoly on the alchemy of making alcohol, be it wine, beer, or spirits, distilled spirits. And it's amazing when you look throughout history how many cultures think that their alcohol is part of their culture, but it's actually controlled by the same usual suspects. And so the whiskey tax rebellion, it's fascinating to me because when you look at the before and after, basically you had uppity Gentiles, Goyim, making their own beer, wine, and spirits, and suddenly... You've got all of these chicken swingers saying you have to use the full power of this new republic to squash that and make it so that we get the monopoly on beer, wine, and spirits. And, you know, that's the part that's left out. It's like, who ended up with all the big distilleries? Who ended up with all the big vineyards? Who ended up with all the big breweries? And then flash forward to modern day, New Boone, echo, 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 North Kakalaki, where we... Our local media, out of town's Adams Publishing, Watauga Democrat, Pravda Watauga, is constantly writing article after article promoting our so-called local breweries up here. But upon closer inspection, you find out that almost all of those local breweries in these Appalachian Mountains are carpetbagger chicken swingers that are basically running roughshod operations on all the bars 
you know, and just control who they control alcohol in this area, right? And one of the worst is the Boonshine outfit here in New Boone because they're social justice warriors and community activists. And so you've got this big, big brewery all the college kids go to and get recruited for all of the nefarious NGOs that are operating around here, the wage war on the locals, fueled by lots of high-alcohol beer, right? Uh, the other thing is, getting back to the you know, March Madness, you know, fun fact, yeah, shock and awe was you know, basically Purim in 2003 was on 17, 18 March, and then shock and awe started on the 20th. Fun fact, I had just completed my uh, campaign for North Carolina House in November 2002, and while I did not win the seat, I caused a, such a stir with my platform of illegal electronic surveillance by the NSA and 9-11 truth one year after the fact, right? Boy, did I misread the room. And, uh, <laughs> but amazingly, I got a huge response of the voting pool in my district, right? And that scared a lot of people, apparently. And so in February, I was supposed to go out uh, to do a three-week training session for military intelli- for naval intelligence in San Diego. And the Friday before I was going to fly out on the Sunday, I'm calling to get my itinerary and my tickets and all that good stuff, and I'm locked out of my account. And I uh, call tech support, and they say, oh, sorry, Mr. Blackman, we'll check. And then they look and say, oh, you need to call the vice president of instructor services, right? Uh-oh. And long story short, that is when I got officially blacklisted. And that was the end of, you know, fe- that was in February. And lo and behold, on Purim, March 20, 2003, is when shock and awe went into Iraq, all based on cooked Jewish intelligence. That was the big, you know, circle. Uh, game they were playing with the intelligence is just making it up and then everybody amplify it and that'll make it look legitimate. You know, that was the whole thing with uh, Tony Blair and the Downing Street Minutes that he met with Bushko and the peanut crowd and said the UK is going to go along with the Americans cooking the intelligence to start shocking all in Iraq on Purim 2003. And we got that, right? Uh, so, yeah. And then uh, that the U.S. Bank, I mean, that's just the other layer of this, that they feel they have to control the currency by mitzvah. And that's how it is with these people. It is a word of God that they've got to do it. And anybody that says we're going to try a different way has to be destroyed. And that's the way they operate. And you know, so the big ones is we want a monopoly on alcohol. We want a monopoly on all the vice. We want a monopoly on all the money creation and all the usury. And if we don't get it, we're going to uh, start killing people, Be it get you into wars, assassinations, whatever. This is the type of intransigent you know, adversary we have. You know, the biggest enemies, foreign and domestic, working against whatever dream may have been for the Constitutional Republic that you know, the U.S. started out as. So back to you. Well, I have to say you're a thought criminal for that. First of all, I saw I Colin Powell. 
I saw Colin Powell with a little bitty vial of white powder at the UN, and if we had not done shock and awe, every uh, American would be dead anthrax by now. And you forget the fact that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with all the rules for fractional reserve banking on some stone tablets, too, I think. But yes. <laughs> that's another matter. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, guys. Hey, guys, Go I guess. I got a question for you two guys, being black and white, so I'm not being racist here. Uh, question is, why was there no problem with the whiskey rebellion in the southern states? I, I think we just refused to collect it, didn't we? To collect the tax, isn't that how it went? Or well, you the- know. Those the, those darn Southerners, you know, they're just that kind of people. The Southern states said, you know, not no, but hell no. We're not even going to appoint tax collectors. So you can call it a tax all you want to. We're not going to send anybody out to collect it. And they also told their courts, you will not try any cases that have anything to do with this whiskey tax. So the South was very anti-federal government really early, guys, really early. I mean, you know, we're going all the way back to, you know, the first administration. And the South was saying, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't doing that. Because in the South, they had no uh, distilleries, no huge distilleries owned by, uh, you know, these... uh, Federalists, there was they had none, and so the whiskey was used back then. You know, as guys, we all grew up with it. Uh, you know, in the Appalachian Mountains, we all know that it existed when we were growing up. Still is, but uh, yes, sir. Most people don't have a clue why that the uh, they actually had to go into Pennsylvania to put down a uh, tax rebellion. And there really wasn't, you know, it wasn't really an insurrection. What the people said is, no, this tax is unfair because it is not an equal tax. Look at all these big distilleries and look, uh, you know, sherry, wine, champagne, all this stuff is not taxed. Why are we the only ones taxed? And then what they did was they went to the courthouses, and anytime anybody was charged in Pennsylvania with that problem, uh, with the, you know, charged with the selling whiskey or what have you, uh, untaxed whiskey, uh, they just went and uh, blockaded the courthouse and wouldn't let anybody in or out. That's not violence, people. That is, that is, isn't that the right to protest? Civil disobedience, but, uh, I mean, isn't it? It's supposedly, it's protected with the Bill of Rights, but yes, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah, that wonderful Bill of Rights, yeah, that thing. Uh, But uh, that is, you know, the things we leave out in history that we don't tell people. And the thing that really got to me, I got into this big discussion with a guy on the Sons of Confederate Veterans page on Facebook. And he was saying that, oh, it was just fine. You know, the, the president has a right to violate the Constitution if the Congress agrees with him. Now, folks, who in the hell can claim to be a Confederate and say that? It, it reminds me of that Nixon quote where he says, it's not illegal if the president does it. Uh, uh, that's, yeah. 
Well, you know, uh, I, if you will go back, we had an orange-haired president not too long ago who told the governors the same thing. Yes, sir. Take the guns first, then yeah. process second. And they still and everybody thinks we're going to be so much better off when we get him back in. Man, I people stop voting. You know, look in the want a leader. Look in the mirror. There you go. I'm I, I'm just done with that whole thing. I, I get and people are so invested in it. You, you, they they just don't want to hear that. You mean you really don't want want to vote for anybody? I say, no, I don't. I don't want this government ruling over me. Get your boot off of my neck. You know, I'm tired of it. Really, I, I've just you've turned me into a revolutionary, Mike. I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but it's the case. Well, if you hate to say it, don't say it then. You don't have to, you know. Uh, (laughs) One of the things, you know, when I look at this and I I think about this so much, and, and, you know, I had a lady, very nice lady, uh, send me an email. She reads my substack. She sent me an email recently, and she said, well, you say don't vote, but what about local elections? Shouldn't we vote in local elections? Shouldn't we vote for a constitutional sheriff? Shouldn't we vote for these people? And, you know, shouldn't we do that? And my answer to her was, uh, very simply, ma'am, that would make a lot of sense if it wasn't for the supremacy clause in the Constitution. You do know that whoever you elect, whether it be dog catcher, sheriff, whatever you, whoever you elect, they are under the supremacy of the federal government. Now, you might think, that, and the and, supremacy clause gives it to them. Go ahead. Yes, sir. And once elected, don't they have to swear an oath to? uphold that same constitution so they're still under it Uh, when it came to a local election a power uh i heard dw put it this way if you're on a ship or a yacht or something there's one captain and you could elect a captain for that voyage or something that kind of thing or a community or a town that is not under the thumb of a other power, yeah, then I can see voting for somebody locally. Then I might, but not as long as they're subservient, like you said, to this ultimate authority. These people that think they're gods. Frederick, what do you think? Well, you hit on it right there. They think they are gods, and that the mindset of a you know faction of these people I call you know the hidden hand, the Illuminati, the you know the uh, Jews, you know, whatever you want to call them, chicken swingers, you know, they view that Goyim law doesn't matter. You know, their laws for other Jews, you know, the 613 mitzvahs, that's the only law that matters. And imposing the seven Noahide laws on the non-Jews, the Goyim, the cattle, and it's interesting uh, when you look at the seven Noahide laws, six of them are do nots, you know, thou shalt nots, right? Each one of these carries the penalty of death, by the way. The seventh is the only positive laws of do, and it is do establish courts of justice basically meaning you go and you establish all these courts of justice and the goyim will have to come to you to arbitrate their affairs and so you get to decide and as such you can make decisions of does it benefit us is this a threat to us 
has nothing to do with those scales of justice, truth. You know, big case today in the UK, I don't know if you've been following this, you know, Sam Malia. You know, basically the Jewish judge who sentenced him to two years for thought crimes, for handing out stickers, you know, the judge had to acknowledge, the you know, Jewish judge, uh, that they were legal, that he hadn't violated the law, and they were factual. Everything he was saying on his stickers was factual, and his method of delivery was legal. However, because of the intent of these legal actions, therefore it was inciting to hate, and he had to be punished, especially because he was being anti-Semitic, right? And so this is, you know, what you have. And this guy, you know, uh, not only is he a chicken swinger, but is a hardcore communist. And on his Twitter feed, somebody sent me a photo of him under, you know, South African terrorist, you know, Nelson Mandela. This guy is supposed to be a judge of impartialness of, you know, one law for everyone there in the UK uh, is under this Nelson Mandela statue with his, you know, commie fists raised. And so you think, you know, did this white Brit guy, you know, Scottish guy, have a chance in this corrupt you know, system. And then, you know, all the Jewish-controlled media was pouncing upon this, like this justice is being served. This is what we need. These neo-Nazis, these white supremacists have to be shut down, even if what they're doing is truthful and legal. And this was like, you know, the Monica Schaefer, Alfred Schaefer trial in Germany, where truth was no, de- or excuse me, the Ernst Zundel trial, where there's basically truth is no defense, you know, and you know, so this idea of them establishing all these courts and what a great thing that we had all of these courts of law established, but we realize just how corrupt those courts of law are. And, you know, one of the big you know, things I had to swallow was what they were telling these 20 somethings, the best and brightest at the NSA, at the CIA, at the FBI especially after 9-11, that they were not in any way inhibited by the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. They could spy on anyone, anywhere, at any time. And what the Constitution and the Bill of Rights means is you just can't use what you find in a court of law against that individual, but that doesn't matter because when you're working for the NSA, you're creating kill lists, right? And this was, you know, their mindset is we are, you know, spying on everybody so we can figure out who to kill. And, you know, we're not tethered by silly things like the FISA laws or the First Amendment, or the Fourth Amendment, right? And this was what they were telling these kids, and they were, because 9-11, you know, all patriotic, you know, we got to get the bad guys and, you know, any means necessary. And so this is the mindset that has crept into this Republican, like Mr. Gaddy and I say, you know, 
uh, you know, the original plan, this big conflict of the great experiment versus the great work resulted in whatever they came up with being snake bit from day one. It was poison from day one, and now we're reaping that harvest with you know, the shape of the so-called legal system and the intelligence community, et cetera, in this you know, uh, Federal Reserve-controlled constitutional republic where you have no rights, only privileges that can be taken away by whim of the people you don't get to you know, confront in court. That's the thing. You no longer get to uh, confront your accuser. It's star chamber justice, and that's what they want. So back to you. Bottom of the hour break, folks. We'll be right back. Little piece of you. A little piece in me. Well, You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise from flags to T-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop and lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop and lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. 
The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. Drinksupertea.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is uh, Beyond the Official Narrative on Republic Broadcasting Network. And was that was it you that got cut off at the break there, Mike? Whoever some cut somebody off. Let me talk or, or refer to. I forgot which one it was. Guys, finish up before we go to our callers. So oh, I was it back. Much yeah. Finished. Oh, I was talking about you know those courts. Oh, you know, they're yeah they get to decide yes. you know and so many times you know the decision is made before the trials even start you know so it doesn't matter what evidence you have and you know we see all these cases of these corrupt DAs you know rejecting exculpatory evidence that would prove the innocence or guilt you know, you're just not going to bring that into this court uh because this is the way it's going to go and yeah, so it's just the theater of court now. It has nothing to do with any type of real serious justice system. So back to you. Absolutely, it's been portrayed that, but the Alex Jones thing, the Fetzer thing, this stuff with the the memes. It's just whatever they say goes, and it's been that way, as Mike pointed out, since that Judiciary Act, and then they passed the Alien Sedition Laws. I remember uh, him describing how the judge was ridiculing the person and decided the case before they even got there there's no justice they are just telling you what they're going to do to you basically at this point is what it boils down to it seems to me does that sound accurate sir well uh there's one thing uh there are this uh, conversation and i love these conversations but this drew me to something else i want to throw out there especially as it addresses what frederick brought up so poignantly And I realize, guys, this uh, Supreme Court decision is over 120 years old. And I don't expect any of you guys to actually uh, know it, but I will ask you if you might know it. Have any of you ever heard of a Supreme Court decision, 1901, called Downs, D-O-W-N-E-S, versus Bidwell? No, sir. Well, what about you, Frederick? Doesn't ring a bell. Take us to school, wild man. All right. Have you ever heard of Justice Marshall Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N? Not me. Okay. Uh, No, no, sir, no. Okay. I want to quote his dissenting opinion in this 1901 case. So listen to this very, very carefully, folks. And this is what this justice in 1901 said. And I quote, 
two national governments, one to be maintained under the Constitution with all of its restrictions, the other to be maintained by Congress outside and independently of that instrument by exercising such powers as other nations of the earth are accustomed to. A radical and mischievous change in our system of government will result. We will, in that event, pass from the era of constitutional liberty, guarded and protected by a written constitution, into an era of legislative absolutism. It will be an evil day for American liberty if the theory of a government operating outside of the supreme law of the land finds lodgment in our constitutional jurisprudence. Unquote. In other words, a genuine de jure United States of America Congress is always bound to enact laws within the jurisdiction of the Constitution. But he held to the obvious truth that Congress does not exist, let alone have powers outside of the Constitution. But Harlan also said this nation is under the control of a written Constitution, the supreme law of land, and the only source of the powers which our government or any branch or officer of it may exert at this time or any place. Now, Blackbird, help me out here. What is this two governments he's talking about? Two national governments. And yeah, that esoteric symbol of the two-headed eagle which we almost ended up with yes goes way 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 back and you know uh, some people think it was originally developed during the early city-state model you know, around the time of you know uh, uh, jericho and ai and zor and all of those right it's autumn and gomorrah where you basically had, you know, the day shift guys and the night shift guys. And you had the laws for the day and the laws for the night. And the night shift guys were responsible for people disappearing in the night, never to be seen again, because they had been charged by some star chamber justice system that, it, you know, you're up, it's your time. Uh, and, you know, so this is that symbolism and Freemasonry of the Jachin and Boaz, those two great columns that were supposedly on the Solomon Temple you know, porch. And you know, Jachin, uh, it's interesting, Boaz appears in the Bible numerous times. Boaz was a leader, a you know, popular person, blah, blah, blah. Jachin appears nowhere. Right, you have no reference to Jachin, and it's that you know idea of the hidden cryptic, uh, hidden hand type system of the other law, the absolute law, the martial law, where it's you know if everything's going fine, we'll play by these rules over here, but when it comes down to it, you know it's we're going to use right to maintain the status quo. No matter what all we have to do illegally, you know, uh, immorally, uh, ruthlessly, it's just that's what has to be done. And you also see this, we've talked many times about in the Constitution, the idea of emergency powers like Rex 84, the Patriot Act, and, you know, the Military Commissions Act, all these other things that basically say we can declare special time where all the rules are suspended. Just like on 9-11, we declared special time 
where the rules of physics were suspended, right? So, yeah, this is judicial special time. And as long as you're under a state of emergency, you can do whatever you want. And when you have a compliant Mockingbird Media that's running cover for you and no real journalism is allowed to question that extrajudicial uh, authority, you know, you get away with it. And this is really where we are. It's like the Telecommunication Act. I always go back to pet peeve of mine for some reason. Uh, you know, when we finally prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, even after General Michael Hayden, my old client at the NSA at the time, went on in you know, 2006 and swore up and down that the NSA understood the Fourth Amendment, and it was a reasonable cause. <laughs> you know, it had nothing to do with probable cause, but it was just a reasonable standard, right? So we finally proved beyond a shadow of a doubt these guys all deserve to be shot for what they did to the Constitution under the illegal electronic surveillance they were doing. But instead, our Obama compromised Congress critters and Obama say they were so patriotic for after what they stepped up after not after 9/11 despite the fact that all this was in place before 9/11 they stepped up and did what had to be done so we're going to give them telephone uh, telephony community uh, immunity excuse me you know so they were so the entire telecommunication industry got immunity for their high crimes that they did after 9-11 on the American people. And they gave them awards. That, oh, okay, well, you know, we denied it, denied it, denied it. Now we can't deny it anymore. So all these Unit 8200 alumni <laughs> you know, that are now in charge of the U.S. telecommunication grids, they're actually heroes, not tyrants, right? So, yeah, this is the kind of you know, madness we're up against. So back to you. Now, you know that continuity of government is vital for national security. <laughs> but Absolutely. And also, Kirk Cameron covered some of that Israeli pipeline you were talking about that was going to Tel Aviv before 9-11 a bit, but it disappeared off the news in a hurry. You know, that, that report was mentioned maybe twice, and it's hard to find now, but they, they covered it for a brief period and, and i don't know man it just it's infuriating guys i really appreciate you joining me here this evening uh i wish we had been able to do it at the dixie republic but in the near future maybe and i see we have a caller waiting um uh, reb from colorado reb thanks for the call sir you you have a comment or a question for us well we got the answer for you because we're the first team in the history of ever get around just department. And it's working. All these times I appear and talk on this public broadcast, and they're calling and harassing the National Command Center. You just tell them the government of the United States of America, Bubba Scout Reb, demands action. That's all you got to say. Or we support the government, Bubba Scout Reb, because we're not the regime. We're the United States of America government in capital letters. That's the one... That these people don't want to pay taxes to, and they become a, a like liberated citizen. We're going to get you because we're going to turn you upside down and shake the money out of you. That's what the government does. <laughs> so we're bringing the IRS, and we're going to take the dope money. We're going to take the dope money because I told them agents, 
What do you want jump chains from the public when we can shake these governors down? And we're going to do it with military force. That Military Commissions Act you don't like. And hell, it was written to use against American public. So how did three unknowns in Jerkwater, USA, figure out how to use that law that President Bush 43 signed 17 October 2006? Because we're geniuses at war went through the Defense Intelligence Agency and took evidence to the top of the government. Talk about false prosecutions. There was a task force back in the first decade of the 21st century. We knew about it. The public didn't because they're not too bright. The public didn't know anything that we knew about what's going on in false prosecutions. You can call them. Criminal Division of the United States America Justice Department. Just say the words blow the scout rim. I'm telling you, it's two zero two five one four two six zero one. They'll flip out. They will flip out and you'll never hear screams louder than them. I'm telling you, we did a number on them and they were the ones who come up with the task force on false prosecution. If they'd have knocked out this this idiot prosecutor, Jefferson County, Colorado, then the world would have known that the Lakewood 911 bastard shot up the East Hallway on April 20th, 20, uh, 1999. And they did more damage and casualties than the two they said did the shooting. You didn't know that, but we did. Are, we you, knew are, so are you talking that. about Columbine thing in April oh, yeah. 20th of 99? You know, that, well, <sighs> it's definitely corrupt, but when you talk to, you said something about this government in all capital letters. Are you are you, are you saying That's that there are two governments are. there too? Is that the two governments that this was referring to? How there are two laws? You know, I, I don't well, know. That's I don't I'll want any government, brother. <laughs> yes, better. sir. I can explain it better than he did. We're not the regime. What you got running the show was the Congress, even the black robes and the morons in the White House. That's the regime. That ain't the government. That's the freak show that puts on the Hollywood East presentation while the left coast is Hollywood West. We know all about this, and so did the Defense Intelligence Agency. They knew we had an audio tape that was a theatrical production. We know how they did it. They put our voices in a conversation with a terrorist. That's the facts. I mean, that's true, but the facts are we never had the conversation. We know how they do that. We're smart. Nobody in America would have known what to do about it. Of course, the FBI was going to cover it up. So we had the 6th and 7th Congressional District in Colorado take it to the we said, take it to the U.S. Attorney General. Now, we knew they weren't going to do that. We're ahead of them. And so when they did that, we dialed in the DIA and they knew what we were doing. They come out for that same audio tape, and they took it to Jag in the joint teeth. Now you're talking the government because you know. And well, and I, listen, States, I agree that. Listen, I know, I know what you say that it's not us. Not we aren't that government. empire, but they're acting in our name. Those bombs they're dropping, they got USA on them, okay, and okay. those people blame oh, us on. for it. And now they're coming know, through know, our open southern saying. border. You know. I understand I that that's saying. not us, but, you know, we're going to yeah, end up it, with the consequences. To, all right, all right, leave it to us. We we leave it to us. We know how the Yids work. They're outnumbered. They are outnumbered. You don't get it. 
we got them beat eight ways Sunday like they got you beat eight ways. But I told the people at, at the, the Secret Service when I got to, when I'm 45 was in there, do not build a wall because we'll, they're going to leave here. And we know why. That wall is to keep people in. People know that, too. It's not for your benefit. And we see that. If you saw the stuff we saw and the stuff we... We're not allowed to disclose it. Why should we tell the enemy what we're going to do? That's stupid. And why do people who have shooting irons wait on the enemy's timetable? Look, look up the Turner Commission back in 1967. People said, you mean this existed? Yeah, yeah, under that scumbag Johnson who ruined Texas, who ruined America. Well, hey, can, let me, can I stop you there for a second? The Colonel, Colonel, Colonel Mike, are you aware of that commission? That's a new one on me in 67. I'm kind of lost know. right there with some of that. Colonel commission, Turner yes. Commission. Colonel commission, yes. Going, they'll tell you what's going on today on the streets of America, word for word, and who's responsible and who they're blaming. And this was all Johnson's idea, and... He was the one who put this into effect in 64 with his in the Constitution, no rights for whites. It becomes civil rights, which have nothing to yeah. do with the U.S. Constitution. Nothing at all. It was a United Nations decision. And just so you know, it was never for the descendants of the North American Negro slaves. It was never meant for them, which is why they're getting screwed in every direction. And uh, was that was the purpose? Oh, yeah. It was for them to deal dope and shoot up the streets of the major cities. That's what that was for. And it hasn't helped them a bit. I'm just telling you, they were better off segregated than this. George Wallace oh, said so in yes. 1968. And, and he had the greatest general of the 20th century, Curtis LeMay, with him. Who, listen to this. Curtis LeMay, chief of staff of the Air Force, 19, for 963. As soon as he met with Lyndon Johnson, remember, he's chief of staff of the Air Force with the Joint Chiefs. First thing he did was quit. He knew what was coming. He knew that this Tonkin thing, he knew what was going to be in the, so did the, listen to this, the Republic of Korea Army. They're no slouches. They know what the heck they're doing. Well, they were going to go into, and string up Ho Chi Minh and gut them and the whole bit. They were going to do it themselves. That's why they went to Vietnam. And so the Australian Army, they were going to say, we had enough of this Southeast Asian crap. But the U.N. got in their way. They said, what the hell? Just like they're doing up on their peninsula now. And they said, the hell with this? We're out of here. They saw this MACV plan. That's what's coming. The reason I bring that up, you read the Kerner Commission, and you'll see what's going on today. It's the Vietnam War all over again, and the Ho Chi Minh Trail's coming up at us. Why do you think we got to the top level mm. of the Pentagon? Why do you think RSEC calls me? I'm a civilian. And the real genius is the God of War Bubba, who figured this out with the Defense Intelligence Agency, and that was at General Pace's office in 2008. That's why President Bush 43, he never seen anybody so quick jump on his law. And we had it at the Joint Chiefs just a couple months after he signed it, October 17, 2006. And this was taken to the top. Yeah. Well, yeah, Kurt, I, re I remember Curtis LeMay wanting 
10 million people was an acceptable figure during the Cuban Missile Crisis to him. So I do respect well, George not, Wallace, not but not about- LeMay. I can't, I can't, I can't, I agree. I don't, Curtis LeMay was one of the architects of the, uh, uh, you know, the terror bombing in Tokyo man. and all. That's just, that, that I can't. He's a jerk, man. He could get bombers yeah. into, the Soviets weren't going to, they were, if they would have left Hanoi, if he was if the, on on January 20th, 1969, that, they only won five states. They were only on about 37 states. We know the story. But if they've seen that result on January 20th of, of 1969, well, those Soviets would have packed up and headed out. And nobody was going to well, mess with Curtis LeMay. Because he's vice president. Well, get- and, well, thank, hey, thank, thanks for the call, Reb. Let me let well, my guests respond to you before we run out of time here. We're, we're nearing the end of the show, but I do appreciate your, your input. And let, let me let you guys respond to that. I was not aware of that Kerner Commission before, but I'm going to look into that because they're always going to blame the white guy, you know, even though the blacks were rioting. That makes perfect sense. Either one of you guys want to respond? Well, Curtis LeMay was uh, highly responsible for the writing of Operation Northwoods. I'm not going to give him any credit whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, I agree that he was a warmonger and and had, you know, seemed to take glee in the incineration of people. It just, yeah, I, I have to. But, George, you, you read, I, I read or heard a speech that George uh, Wallace had said on the campaign trail, and, you know, he made a lot of sense. And I do agree that black communities, black families were stronger when they were segregated. They still had into their, the black families were more intact. There were fewer single-parent black families when I was born than whites. And then pretty quick, that flipped around, and it seemed it was by design, too. And I did like the way you put that. Civil rights means no rights for whites, too. That's really what that boils down to in the long run, I believe. Frederick, what would you say to that? Oh, just great points that the caller was making, trying to keep up with everything he was touching on. But, yeah, that whole thing of the civil rights movement of the 60s, yeah, that was completely synthetic. It was all about demonizing white people, especially white Southerners. You know, really take a look at who burned down those black churches you know, that the media, Mockingbird Media, was talking about, and you know to push this through. But you know, I always go back to 1948. Yeah, you know, after the war, you know, this New World Order, where you had Eleanor Roosevelt and the UN out there making the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Everybody's equal now, and the whole planet. Everybody's equal, but also in 1948, you had David Ben-Gurion establishing Israel and saying some people are more equal than others, you know, and this is, you know, the whole thing is, you know, suddenly white nations, white people are told that you can't have your own white nation anymore, and this was right out of the Kalergi plan where we're just going to start flooding these white nations with non-whites and if they try to say anything, we're going to call them racist and that you know, they are denying the rights of their fellow man that were all declared equal in 1948 by the U.N. and Eleanor Roosevelt. So back to you. 
Yeah. Uh, l- let me let you guys uh, announce when your shows are before we run out of time, too. Rebel Madman Radio will be tomorrow uh, afternoon. Mike, what do you have planned? Would you like to let us know, uh, know about that? And plug your uh, – listen, I'm going to plug your Substack. I've learned more history from that than any uh, uh, history text I ever had. MichaelGaddy.substacks.com, y'all. You really need to check it out. Uh, thanks, buddy. And uh, tomorrow uh, I'll be on from 4 to 7 here on the wonderful Republic Broadcasting Network uh, with the Rebel Madman Radio Show. And i got a little surprise for folks tomorrow. I hope it works out. So I'm not going to give that away. But uh, the last hour, I'm as usual, I will be joined by uh, Cal and DW, and so we'll uh, parse what I do in the first two hours. Uh, and then on Sunday night, we've got the Rebel and the Renegades uh, from 9 to 11, and of course, you're part of that, Stephen. And then I think tomorrow night, uh, on uh, after, our, after my three hours, aren't you on there, Frederick? Yes. Uh, first off, thanks for having me on tonight. This has been a blast. I'm glad this worked out for all of us. Always a pleasure. Learned a lot. Uh, but my show, Saturday Snack Shack, from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and then Sunday night, Monday morning after uh, Robert Rayvolt's show, RBN is doing an encore of all the old Breakfast Club shows. Ooh. So you can catch the Breakfast Club late night Sunday from 1 a- Actually, it's Monday morning, 1 a.m. to 2 a.m., but you can also catch it on the archives on RBN. But I've really enjoyed uh, them. RBN takes the shows, edits them down to the hour, and plays them and tries to make it sound all professional like. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, that. but they're terrific. <laughs> yes, I've listened to several of those. Thanks again, both you guys, for joining me. It was a blast. I hope we can do it again at the Dixie Republic. And I'll be committing thought crime in the morning, 9 a.m. Y'all remember, a thought crime a day helps keep tyranny at bay. Y'all be good to each other. Thanks, guys. You guys are great. Thanks, Thanks Mr. Bye. Producer. Thank you. One of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.